Hey toy family, welcome to the Marsham Toy Hour where we discuss anything and everything designer toys to help promote and educate and maybe, just maybe, we'll increase your toy IQ. I'm Gary Ham. I'm Teresa Hawkins. And I'm George Gaspar. Welcome back, George. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> always. You're always welcome here. I saw that you're back on the, the Toy Chronicle too. That's good to see. You took a couple weeks off after San Diego Comic-Con, is that right? I think you meant uh, Toy Geeks behind the counter. Edit. Is it Toy Chronicle? <laughs> Did I say Toy Chronicle? Yeah. Fuck. What's wrong with me? All right, guys. Well, we have a guest tonight, and he we got him for a short period of time. So let's just get rolling and give our guest a proper introduction. He is John of the House Spanky, blogger of the Toy Realm, promoter of artists, Prince of Positivity, retainer of the Designer Toy Award, regent of Free Goody Friday, the father of strolls, founder of SpankyStokes.com. So let's welcome John Spanky Stokes. Welcome, John. Hey, what an introduction. That was damn sweet. What did you say? Friggity what? what? Or what? Friggity, fraggity, friggity. <laughs> Yeah. Sounds great. I mean, let's break it down the friggity fraggity, and let's just say that you are everyone knows you're a kick-ass toy blogger and responsible for founding the very popular toy blog SpankyStokes.com, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, that is me. That's 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 me by night. And by day, my, you're my alter ego. By day, I'm a senior graphic designer at a local casino in San Diego. Look at that! Throwing out the title, senior. Nice. Hey, you got to. You earned it. Yeah, exactly. Where I work, we don't get titles. I've been oh, there. I've been there for shame. like thirteen years, and still the same person I was when I started. Oh well. well yeah. Oh well. As long as you're getting a raise every once in a while, that's what matters. Nah. <laughs> so <laughs> let's hope you're better than when you started. <laughs> so, John, so, how, how did you get started? When did you start collecting designer toys, and then what made you want to start a blog? Oh, you know, and okay. So in 2007, I went to a design conference, since I'm a designer, in San Diego. It's called the Y Conference. And there they had like a, uh, a little uh, area for vendors set up. And there was a booth for subtext. It was a gallery in San Diego. So they had a booth, and at their booth they had some vinyl. And I, I bought a Azteca Dunny blind box. The, the first series, as well as some, I believe, the first series of Mongers. And ever since then, I was hooked. Nice. Yeah, so I started, you know, dabbling around, looking online for whatever I could find on them. Uh, ended up joining the Kid Robot Forum, where everybody went. That was the juice back in the day, the Kid Robot Forums. And then George with the October Toys Forum. Yep. I was a part. I was a part of that as well. Yep. And then, then what made you get started into wanting to uh, spread the news and help promote the scene? Well, I started the blog as more of a personal thing, and it kind of turned into me wanting to know more. And you know, upon doing research, there were only a few sites out there: Plastic and Plush, Vinyl Pulse, Toys Are Evil. They were the only ones, and I felt like there was more to be found and seen, and and obviously there was. So we just started. Or I should say, I just started covering it, and that's kind of how it turned into what it is today. Okay. And the name, Spanky Stokes. It sounds like a pornography site. Why did you end up going with SpankyStokes.com? Gary. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, Teresa. I know. But it does. It's, if you didn't know, 
you know, John has a, you know, his nickname is Spanky. Actually, I think one of the first times when I actually learned about SpankyStokes.com, I thought it was a joke. And then it turns out it was legit. So I'm wondering, like, why did you end Dude, up going it's with still Spanky a, Stokes? It, it is still a joke, Gary. It's still a joke. <laughs> no, but it's, it's had longevity. It's, it's obviously a, a nickname that stuck. Uh, a, yeah. very, a very popular toy blog, and you know, I was just kind of curious why maybe you went with that name first, and how did the name come about? How did you get that nickname? Spanky came about uh, my freshman year of high school. I was playing football, and my offensive line coach thought I looked like Spanky from the Little Rascals. My last name is Stokes. Simple as that. Nothing more. He, he nothing. Did... Nothing more. The Spanky stuck though. Like it went f- with me from high school to junior college, and got a scollarship to play football at Humboldt State, which is in nor- Northern California. And I had friends that actually came there from my junior college, so they knew me as Spanky there. So it just stuck. And I, I mean, my dad even calls me Spanky. So, <laughs> so, so wait, you didn't start the blog until two thousand seven. This is correct. Wow, I thought you were there from like way earlier than that. That's crazy. Actually, I started in 2008. I started collecting and getting into the vinyl in 2007. Started the blog in 2008. I do feel like it was earlier. I think I feel like I went to like a, a VTN or a Designer Toy Con, what it's called now. But I think I went to a VTN and you had a boo set up there. Did you start like doing booze at conventions before you started the blog, or did it kind of happen around the same time? Before no. you answer that, Gary, you know it's still just called Designer Con, right? What am I? What am I calling it? Designer toy con. Designer toy con again. I'm fucking clueless. I I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, oh, now no. you can answer. It's part of my charm. <laughs> Two thousand eight was actually the first year that I did uh, vinyl toy network. At the time. I think that's where I first saw you. Yeah. Yes, and that was that was actually the first year. Two thousand eight was the first year they did the two days, and yeah. it didn't do well. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember. I remember, I think we exhibited that one. I think you were kind of across the way, just a little catty corn to us. But I don't remember. I remember it being two days, but I don't remember it not doing too well. Yeah, well, that's why they went back to one day for like five years after that. And then they went back to two days and oh. it ended up doing a lot better. Oh, okay. I had, no, I had no idea. Yeah, or four or five years, something like that. But it was it was when uh, Vinyl Toy Network or DesignerCon was in that foyer of the convention hall. Do you guys remember that? It was like there were stairs down the middle of it. And... Yeah, it was downstairs yep. underneath underneath the stairway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's early days. Now you don't you don't exhibit at DesignerCon anymore, do you? No, unfortunately, I don't have the time to gather and get everything together. How long, um, how long is that been? Because I remember it used to be like one of the larger booths at the convention. You would always be like doing giveaways and promoting. It was like a, kind of a rowdy booth. Why did you stop? Or when did you stop? Yeah. I considered it my convention. That's how much I love doing it. Well, we couldn't call it SpankyCon. I think DesignerCon is a much better name. <laughs> you could, but I just think it might attract a different crowd. <laughs> you, you know, uh, I stopped when uh, we had our daughter. That was the game changer. So... You know, being a parent, I mean, obviously, you know, it takes up a lot of time. It's a game changer. Yep. Yes. It's kind of when it stopped. That's kind of about when it stopped for me, too. I think the first year I had my one-year-old there, or maybe he was less than one, and I don't think I've been back since either. So I get it. I totally understand that. But you still did San Diego Comic Con, so. Um, yeah, no, we did. And that's also because it was more of like a family vacation. I mean, you would go out there and we would go, you know, well, actually, I, I wouldn't go. The wife and her <laughs> friends would take the kids to the beach and, you know, SeaWorld and all the, you know, the zoo and all that fun stuff. And, yeah. you know, 
and also with having kids, you have two car seats or one car seat in the car. That takes up a yeah. lot of space, so I couldn't oh, yeah. bring as much product. So then we would end up bringing two cars, and parking was expensive, having to park two cars. And so, you know, a time came where we just kind of like had to check yourself and just kind of realize like, is this is this worth doing? I mean, you're indoors for five days, ten hours a day. Um, it was super expensive. You know, you got the car thing and the parking thing, the hotel, and and then on top of that, you know, while I'm stuck indoors for five days, my family's out there doing SeaWorld and the beach and the zoo, and I'm missing out on all this great family time with my kids. And uh, you know, once I realized that, it was a very easy way to part ways and no regrets. Yeah, understood. Now you've been doing uh, blogging for for 2007, so almost ten years now. And 2008, so, yeah, so almost ten years. Yeah, and so that's a long time. And uh, blogging, I mean, it's no joke. I mean, to continue what you've been doing on a daily basis for over 10 years, that's that's incredible. And, you know, the field's quite competitive. There's, you know, several toy blogs. And to be one of the premier ones, you really got to be on top of your game. And, and I would say you definitely are. And uh, I commend you for that. And so do you ever feel the pressure to stay on top of your game and evolve and improve and all that stuff? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be foolish to say that we didn't. Um, what are some of the most recent changes or some of the biggest changes you've had to do to the website? Well, when it first started, I didn't have my mascot, the stroll and me being in designing and marketing and things like that. I kind of felt like it needed, you know, a brand, something to surround itself on something that could be, you know, synonymous with my site and with toys and things like that. So I think the first two years, my blog was just Spanky Stokes. The top header, there was nothing. It was kind of bland. So I kind of went to the drawing board and came up with the stroll, with along with the help of my dad. <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, it was fun. And since then, it's kind of evolved. He's been, I guess, like I could say, synonymous with my site and designer toys, like kind of I had envisioned. And since I invented him, he's been created by artists and companies and i mean it's it's crazy to see the amount of figures uh people have made of my stroll oh yeah for sure especially when you did the omfg uh series which you know october toys i mean how many customs came out of that i don't know but it was more than i can keep track of yeah i I think george was telling me one time that the stroll sells out right george like there's none oh yeah It, it was definitely one of the very the harder ones to get well, it's a great Just, mascot. I mean, you did a great job on the design. It's obviously one of the more, probably the most recognizable mascot or icon of our scene. So, I mean, congrats on that. Thank you. That could have to do with the 50,000 stickers he's printed by now. <laughs> this is true and slapped all over the place and given away and, yeah, fun stuff. <laughs> is it based off anything? You know what? It So the story goes, like, when before I created the stroll uh, mascot, I was customizing a lot. I was part of a lot of shows, and I always created like big, hairy, drooling monsters. And one time, my dad said that he had a dream about uh, one of my monsters. It was kind of like a one of those troll dolls, you know, back in the the eighties. Yep. So the troll, and he said. It was a combination of that and my last name, Stokes. So he said that he had a dream that was called a stroll. And, you know, I give <laughs> give him all the credit for coming up with the word. So a stroll is a Stokes troll. Mm. Cool. There you go. <laughs> now, blogging, it's a hard life. It's not like it pays the bills or, you know, it's probably not a full-time thing. 
It's uh, not always like a, it's kind of a thankless job. And you've been doing it for 10 years. Like every week, I, f- I think that this is the last time I'm going to be doing this podcast. How have you been doing blogging for 10 years? And have you ever had those moments where you just feel like shutting it down or why am I doing this? And I've obviously, you've brought on help, you know, people that are great writers and stuff to help you. Like, how has that been for you, you know, blogging and the you know, experience of the ebbs and flows and the highs and lows of being a blogger? Uh, I went into it as a hobby. And it still is a hobby for me. It's fun. I get some money for advertising, which is icing on the cake. But yeah, it is. It is. Like you said it's not a full time job, but it, it it's my second job. It really is. I I spend a lot of time every day on this thing. And you know anybody you talk to that blogs, they I'm sure they tell you the same thing. Well, you have to. You can't let a day slip by. I mean, just be a top blog. You have to stay on top of the news, get things out. I imagine that's a daily. That's a very hard grind to to do over the course of ten years. So, I mean, I commend you on being able to to keep up that pace. Thank you. And you know, I rely on a lot of people to send me information. I mean, I'll go out and I'm always like looking for things as well. Facebook, uh, social media, just trying to see what else is new out there. But I rely on a lot of artists to email me, and that's been awesome. I mean, artists send me press releases, let me know what's going on, um, and that's how I'm able to stay. I should say we are able to stay on top of it because it's not just me anymore. But Right. And I've yeah. noticed as of late, you've actually kind of been like not a reskinning of the website, but you're actually implementing probably this is your, more of your background into it. Like your um, your header images have a lot more graphic design nature to them now. I think before it was mainly like just reusing a photograph, but now you're imp- implementing a lot more. Uh, are you the one doing all the text elements and cropping the images? All the images seem kind of the same size, but it's very g- more graphic design. I don't think the artists are doing that. It seems like you or maybe someone else is doing all, all that work. Yeah, myself and, and Nick Curtis, and I blame Facebook for that. It's to make things more streamlined. We put up a post on the blog and there's programs out there that automatically pull that content and push to all the other social medias such as Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Tumblr, things like that. Yeah. Uh, Facebook being the, the biggest one. And when they pull the content, the image has to be a certain aspect ratio. Sure. So that's why all of those header images are that aspect ratio now. So it kind of gives, you know, a clean, concise look. And if people go to Facebook, they can see the image and click on it to take them to the blog. That's a lot of work, though. I, don't, I think next time someone goes to your blog, they should actually look at those headers and appreciate it and recognize that maybe an artist is probably just sending you an image. And then you're somehow splicing that image. You're taking their their text or redoing your own text. Or I'm sure that's what you're doing as well. Being a graphic designer, you probably have a huge database of type fonts and stuff like that. But that's a lot of added work that you're doing that I don't think a lot of people probably realize. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I try – I should say we try to do it as quick and dirty as possible because it does slow down the amount of things we can post about. Uh, I know Nick, for instance, he has a, a certain allotted time that he does this stuff in the mornings and then he's done. Same with me, I guess I could say, you know, I, I work sometimes during my lunch break at work and then I come home, hang out with the family. And then once everything goes down at night at nine thirty, I stay up till, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning and, and I'm blogging. Damn dude. That's incredible. That's uh, quite the devotion. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's hard. It's, I don't know if I could do that. 
squeeze yeah. in that with my full-time job, I think I'd be dead trying to stay up till 2 in the morning vlogging. Yeah, it's it's definitely tiring. Try, but, uh, try it, doing it as a parent. It's even worse. <laughs> it She's a she's a, a fur parent. She knows. Yeah. Yeah, Gary. <laughs> well, yeah, Gary. I, I know. I, I, yeah, a little bit different, but yeah. It's, it's, still, it's still a time investment. I get it. You got to groom her and take her for walks and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you think I groom her? Please. Please. I pay for that. There's people <laughs> that do that. No, I mean, I mean that's for sure. I think as a consumer of it, you know, you're just going on look at the info, and people should definitely appreciate it a bit more. I didn't realize that those were things you were creating. I mean, that is for sure. Because I mean, I do design too, and you know, it, yeah, you get quick at it, you know, quick enough that you can kind of put stuff together. But it is, you know, it does take time, and oh, certainly um, it does. I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of work. I didn't even notice it really until today. It's one of those things that you just kind of don't really pick up on it. It was pointed out to me. And I'm like, damn, I just started scrolling and it went all the way back to, when did you start maybe around May having to do this or? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it's, it's fairly recent. It's a lot, a lot of extra time. I mean, before you had it kind of down to a streamlined system and then all of a sudden you got to start, you know, throwing in a couple hours, maybe an extra hour each day, I would assume to do something like that. Yeah. It, it It's crazy. Like I would say on average, we were, we were putting up on average probably 15 to 18 posts a day. Jesus. And now we're down to probably 12. That's not necessarily a bad thing though. Are you having to be more selective with what's coming in or? No, my inbox is full all the time. It's like, <laughs> I, I can't get caught up now, right. which I mean is good and bad. I just have to prioritize just yeah. like anything else. Yeah. Um, if, so- if something comes through and like, it's, you know, brand new and try to get the scoop on it. Um, I'll take the time and do it then. Yeah, it sounds exhausting. Like to be that connected, you're always having to be connected and aware of what's going on. But I get it. I mean, that's what you have to do to be on top of your game and to be the first, you know, to release the news. Yeah, it's always nice to to get those extra views. It helps out the advertisers and you know helps out the site. Yeah, I mean, you've been doing this grind for so long. Like, what's been over the ten years? What's been like the biggest reward of of doing this? The most rewarding thing is knowing George Gaspar. Oh, please. Come on. No one would say that. Sorry, George. Good answer. George, you need to talk more. I'm fascinated with all this stuff. I mean, I didn't I mean, I knew it was a lot of work to run a blog, but I don't I never even would have thought about it because they're always just there. You know, like these you go to these sites and the pictures are always just there for you and the little stories are always just there. You don't even think about all the stuff that goes in, how many hours of work it takes behind the scenes. Right. We almost take it for granted, like, hey, oh, you know. It's I don't totally need taken it. for granted. I mean, no, if if we didn't have blogs like Spanky Stokes, like, when when someone's toy comes out, who's gonna know? Like, Instagram doesn't show you anything anymore. Facebook is generally useless. So it's like if these blogs weren't here and these guys putting in these hours for basically nothing for their for their you know for fun for them, it, it's it's they're the the unsung heroes in the scene for sure. Yeah, you know it. It's weird how it's progressed. Like I was talking about the the forums being, that's where all info used to happen. I mean, releases, artists were part of it. They would, you know, tell us that you know, they put something in their online store via the forum. And I don't know, it was it was it was kind of as cheesy as it sounds. It was like a magical thing. And I think around 2009 or so, 2010. When social media, um, when Twitter kind of took hold, 
um, I think it's probably 2009, uh, Twitter kind of shook the foundation of, of the uh, the forums, I feel like. And since then, you know, Facebook kind of got their act together and along with the, the pages that you can do on Facebook and businesses and, and just all that stuff. I, I feel like social media, that that's the reason the forums are no longer. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. Um, but you know what? I don't remember the forums. I use was not huge into forums. I was more of a lurker. I would rarely contribute. I just mainly watched. But I think, I, for me, it was mainly collectors and fans talking. I don't remember a time where the artists and companies were, you know, that's the first time you were seeing their news. That must have been maybe before I started doing the forums. I, yeah, it must have been. Or Yeah, I don't know. But I remember going there and always following the artists and what they would have to say. I mean, Kozik and Mad and Joe Ledbetter. Uh, Huck, they all had huge presences there. So speaking of Huck, let's talk about this. So okay. what was it? A couple of weeks ago, I think it was um, August 18th to be exact, he uh, he mentioned that he's going to close up shop and uh, essentially shutter the doors of Huck G. Inc. And he mentioned his, he's been doing it for the past 15 years of his life as a creative. He's going to, you know, it's going to be a turning point of his career as an artist and designer, but he's look for, looking forward to the new, you know, the new venture. So was this a surprise to you, this announcement? I think it was more of a surprise that he lasted as long as he did. Why is that? Because there aren't professional artists out there in our scene that can just do it full time and be able to support. I mean, he has two kids now. Right. It's, it's it's just it's not feasible unless, you know, you live somewhere that's super cheap to live and you live by yourself and you don't have a family, then yeah, maybe you can do it, but it sucks. But I know he's going to, he's, he's still going to do stuff. He's a creative. You can't turn you can't, that off. <laughs> no, no. I, and he's going to get a job with another toy company somewhere or do something involved with toys, you know, or he'll get a job at a design agency and bring toys in with him. The knowledge that he has, like, right. It's 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 not the end for Huck. It's just you know. Yeah. It's nice having a paycheck every two weeks. <laughs> He's gonna love that the the paycheck and probably not having to work a hundred hours a week and stuff like that. So, yeah, I totally agree. It's um it's probably not that shocking. I mean, he lived out there and I think his studio was out there in San Francisco. High rent. Most of its production was done in the U.S. Very expensive. So it's not too surprising, but it's it's also kind of I thought it was a little surprising. I didn't really see it coming and. Uh, you know, even if his doors closed, Huxley Inc., he's not doing it full-time anymore. Like, Mighty Jacks and Clutter, other companies are going to be continuing his Gold Life and his Blank series. They're going to be picking up where he left off. And so it's not like we're we're going to feel like he's disappeared. It's still going to feel no. like he was around. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as, like, doing the side stuff, I don't picture him leaving because even if he takes a full-time day job, he was saying that he was tired of having loans and not, you know, taking family vacations and stuff like that. I, I it's going to be hard to turn away from his fan base and that side money that I think he can get. I mean, he has a really strong fan base that's just going to be ready to pounce on anything he does. So it's going to be hard to turn away, and it's not goodbye for sure. No, it was it was never goodbye. Just, you know, a different chapter. Like they always say, one door closes, another one opens. I think that lets all of us know like how hard this industry can really be because Huck was seemingly on the top of his game. I mean constantly winning designer toy awards it seemed every month he had a release coming out and if he can't yep. make it that just shows how hard it is and it lets everyone know that you know mainly this industry is a side gig for most of us yes yes it is and uh you know huck is is one of the uh forefathers if you will of our western designer scene so it's 
he brought so much to the table and he will continue to do so. So, I mean, like I said, one door closes, another one opens, and I look forward to seeing what what Huck has in store for us. You know, mm-hmm. he dude, he's such an awesome character designer, and he he just has really good sense of I guess worlds that he creates. Yep. With not only just characters but stories and uh, the places they live, and just he just has all of that going for him. Um, with his gold life with Mighty Jack, so hopefully they continue to to push new things out with that. And just, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing what Huck has uh, coming for us because I know he's not done. Plus, he can't leave until we find out if it's G or G. <laughs> <laughs> we really need to know this. If we were gonna get this answer. We had him scheduled. He was looking forward to coming on. This is probably a couple weeks ago. I was like, and Rota Fuji came in the last second and saved the day because like ten minutes before we had Huck scheduled. He uh, emailed and said, "Like, dude, the power in my ter- tire grid just went out, and I'm gonna have to reschedule." And then he just got super busy. I don't know what happened, but we just couldn't get him back on after that. Just you know, the time and just didn't work out. So I don't know. We never got this answered. So I think it's G. G. Oh, G. <laughs> the old debate is a gear G. <laughs> It'll happen forever. <laughs> That's why he's never going anywhere. Like his presence will always be felt. And it's oh, sad yeah. because he Huck was such a master craftsman. He worked in every material from resin to fabric to wood to metal and you know, to lose all that knowledge. I mean hopefully one day maybe he'll mentor and pass along some of that knowledge. But but until then, I mean, best of luck to you, Huck, and hopefully one day we'll actually get to sit down and chat. Maybe. Maybe we'll see some books. Either Stories about his world could be cool, right? Like his artwork from like a print perspective into a storybook or to your point, Gary, like a how-to book. Knowledge passing. Maybe. Why not? He released a book uh, in 2011. Oh, really? Yeah, it was called The Art of Huck G. (laughs) A G. (laughs) Okay, so here, so you you guys, you, George, Teresa, you're fairly new, but George, Spanky, you guys have... A wealth of toy knowledge, especially John. You've been doing this daily, spreading information. George, you were doing Toy Break, and now you're doing uh, Behind the Counter. So I was kind of wondering, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show in the intro, Toy IQ. Like, what if you could rate or put like a rating system to Toy IQ? Say like just like the IQ system, like one to 160, you know, 20 and below being idiotic, 90 to 110 being average, and 140 over and being just like freaking stupid superior knowledge of toys like where do you guys think he would fall into that uh that rating system what was the idiotic one again (laughs) 20 you're 20 that's me that's where i am (laughs) (laughs) which is amazing george because you've been doing this for so long but you're right like i don't know like designer toy wise especially i don't think it doesn't seem like you care to know or you're (laughs) I was never I was never in this to learn about artists and learn about all the things about where they came from or what their inspiration was or like I literally like my job is to give you my reaction on the thing I'm looking at <laughs> when I open it at the time. I don't do research about what it is. I don't care if there's a story behind it. It was, you know, it was all for me it was all just about like aesthetics. There, the just the reaction I'm having as I'm seeing it, and you know, good or bad, it doesn't like and and that you know offended many people, but I don't care if they're like if I have to research a story on your website 
and you know, I have to find a link to your website and research this whole thing. And, and this is supposed to make this thing make sense. It's like, well, then your job is not, you didn't succeed. If I can't tell what's going on from just having it in my hand, because if you get a product into a store, you got to, it's got to sell based on what it is. You can't really, can't rely on like knowing, knowing the backstory, unless you're like a cartoon or a movie and all those things. And that's why that stuff sells better because it does have those backstories. But sometimes you got to be able to just get it out there and get it to me. But don't you think that you're being educated a little just, you know, like by seeing the artists or posts on Instagram or going to spankysoaks.com? Don't you think you're, educated on maybe a little more of a daily basis as to what's going on out there. I mean, you're higher than a 20. You would, you would think I would, you would think so, but I have zero retention <laughs> and I'm, ki- I'm half kidding, of course, but, of course, yeah. sure, but um, I, 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 I really do. I, I don't retain, I don't retain a lot of the information like so. And especially because everybody's got like 16 names. They have their, their uh, actual name, their Instagram name, their artist name, their toy name. It's like, I don't even know what to call anybody half the time. <laughs> That is a problem. Like, is it is it Flat Bonnie or is it Yukari? Is her name even Bonnie? No, it's not. It's like, what am I? Who am I calling you? <laughs> yeah, I and I didn't mean that to offend Flat Bonnie uh, at all. I, I love Flat Bonnie stuff. Oh, she knows that. I just thought she was Flat Bonnie. I didn't even know what her real name was. <laughs> Flat Bonnie is the character, by the way, the little bunny guy. Mm-hmm. And it is- I thought that was the brand name, like the company. It the is. Whole thing. Yeah, it is. It's both. It is, but it's also the main character. Okay, well, now I'm getting confused. <laughs> See? See how hard it is in this stupid world we're in? <laughs> I listen to you. I listen to the episodes I'm not on, and uh, when I hear Teresa and Gary talking about all the cuteness and all this stuff, they're saying names that are just so foreign to me. I don't even know what they're talking <laughs> about half the time. And it's like, wow, do I, even, do I even belong on this show? Like, am I even allowed to be here? Like, I don't know what anyone's saying. But you, George, know others, like, I'm sure you know a whole world that I don't. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, like, that, that's why I think you kind of have your insights into your kind of bubble, and I obviously have a very different bubble, and I feel like my IQ about my area is probably very high, but ask me about anything that kind of falls out of my aesthetic or okay. liking, and I'm not going to know shit, so. so. Teresa, your IQ on cute-related toys probably... 120 and above your IQ on I don't know general no. Japanese kind of grotesque so Fubi toys probably pretty low oh yeah it depends on what you're like if you want me to know all the history about an artist and the backstories and all that I'm probably not going to know a ton of that either but if if you're talking about just understanding who's in the scene making certain stuff that fits in my aesthetic I'm pretty on top of that but I may not know how long an artist has been doing stuff and when they started and the order they did their characters and all that kind of stuff. It depends, but yeah, totally. And what George was talking about when he listens to the show, he doesn't have a clue what we're talking about. We're just good at faking it, George. Like you don't realize that like, you like to just kind of show up and just, you know, do your thing and do as expected of you, not much research and all that. But Teresa and I will spend every single day talking back and forth, going over what we might talk about, toys we've seen, and then we'll start researching like, like how do we pronounce the person's name and backstory and, and all that sort of stuff. So we don't know much going into the show, but with the prep, then we, you know, we're kind of filled in. And thanks to all the toy blogs out there, that's where we get a majority of our information. And what we can't get from them, then we'll hit the, the interwebs and Google search and go to the websites and bios and all that sort of stuff. So we're informed in that way, but without the research, we're nothing. So in all your, in all your spanky research for this week, did you happen to listen to the Yes, We Are Pirates album? I have no idea what that is. 
<laughs> oh, oh, see, that's something people need to know about, Spanky. Oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> We're dropping the ball. People oh. need to go to the store on SpankyStokes.com and uh, get pick yourself up a treat. <laughs> I, what is this treat? I don't, I don't know that there needs to be an explanation. I think people need to go to the store on SpankyStokes.com, find the link to Yes, We Are Pirates, and uh, download it. But I didn't even know he had a store, so he just did promote that. See, look at that. There's that little tiny link at the top. All right, let's see. Well, this looks sweet. It's a shirtless man with abs. I mean, I can't say no to that. That's not all he's got. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's this is John. You want to tell? You want to say what's going on here? This is your. This is one of your bands, I guess. You're in more than one, right? Well, I was just when like you had every, time. Yeah, just like everything else, when I had time. Back in college, I was the drummer for a, a punk band, and uh, that's. That's the album. I put it up on my my store so people could download it for free. Oh, it's free? Yeah, it's free. Even better. But see, buy something too, so you help out the blog. <laughs> you don't need to buy anything. <laughs> we'll find have, we'll find some strolls to throw up there. So I haven't buy up, strolls again. There you go. I haven't updated this in so long. I need to update my store. <laughs> You're not out of the woods, Spanky. What's your toy IQ? Uh. You know what? I'm kind of like George. Oh, come um, on. That's not true. Well, the thing is, is like, I guess if you ask me about the stuff, then maybe I'll be like, yeah, I know about it. But like off the top of my head, like I don't remember what I blogged about yesterday. <laughs> In one ear, out the other, right? Dude, it's it's just been so just like wake up, go, go to sleep, wake up, go, go to sleep, wake up. You know, it's just it, just like you said, in one ear and out the other, it's kind of like at work dude we're just so busy with projects and they asked me what i worked on i'm just like you got me i don't remember you know was it it a poster was it a backlit was it a billboard i i don't remember so it's just like i just do what's in front of me and then i guess shut my brain off but i do have you know like huck g book i knew when that was released (laughs) 2011 it's in there there. you can pull it up i think it's just you don't you just gotta dig yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys are both at least average. I'm going to throw you in the 90 category. Okay. And then what do we get? You get absolutely nothing. Mm. We're a bankrupt Fair. operation here, John. Yeah. We're not rolling in you. sponsor Spanky Stokes money. Yeah. It's all about the yeah. barter system. <laughs> do you ever buy toys anymore? Or is everything just pretty much given to you at this point? Um, you know, I'm really selective in the stuff that I buy. You know, I'll buy anything that Mad makes because I like him and I like his work. Um, and a lot of the stuff that's given to me, I'll end up either giving away or giving it to my writers. Okay. So, do they make sponsorship money at all? Do you like? Do you pay your writers, or is it just mainly a passion thing for them too? It's a it's a passion thing. Okay. Um. I, I sometimes I kick them back with some money if I if I end up getting some extra, but like I said, this is a hobby turned into a second job, and yeah. now that my my wife stays home, every little bit of money helps pay for childcare or mortgage things like that. Don't get me so, started on childcare, dude. I, yeah, you have more kids than me too, so yep, I'm strapped until they're out. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so let's mention some of the sponsors that keep this 
show kind of rolling. They pay for our uh, podcasting fees and stuff like that. So uh, we have some great sponsors. we got 3DRetro.com. Uh, they will definitely take care of all your designer toy needs. They are also a, uh, a brick-and-mortar store out there in Southern California. I hear they're Burbank and Jason. It sounds like an amazing store, lots of great events and stuff like that. So if you are in the area, definitely be sure to check them out. There is also another great store, strangecattoys.com. And if you visit Strange Cat Toys, load up that cart because at checkout, you can use promo code MARSHAM and you uh, receive 10% off your entire order. And then for all your daily designer toy news, well, the one and only, John Spanky Stokes has an awesome blog. It's called SpankyStokes.com. And there's also TheToyChronicle.com. They, uh, they're, like they said, they're the unsung heroes, so be sure to check out all their hard work and stay on top of all the news to increase that toy IQ. All right, let's get back to John. So if you had your crystal ball, John... If you could look into your little designer toy scene crystal ball, where what do you think it's going to look like in, say, 5, 10 years? I don't think it's going away, but what changes do you think are coming? Man, it's tough to say. Uh, I also agree with what you just said. I, I don't think it's going away. It, no, it's not. It, if, if, you, if the only way it'd go away is if you killed every artist. I mean, every artist is going to go out and create. No matter yeah. what happens, it'll just be a so. you know a root sort of thing. We might not be huge corporations or mass production, but there's someone's always going to carry the torch of independent production. So in that sense, designer toys is never going to go away. Yeah, I mean the boom of the vinyl was what two thousand six, seven, eight, nine, ten around there, and then when things started to go south, you saw a lot more resin garage kits. So it, it's it's tough to to know. I mean, I feel like there's a lot more vinyl now in the last couple of years. I mean, what do you guys think? Do you think that you know the vinyl is kind of picked up a little bit? Not like it was. Yeah, but. I think it's picked up a little bit. It's uh, I think we're definitely better off than where we were maybe two years ago. I don't know if it's social media pushing that out there with you know a lot of the Eastern companies like in you know thailand and uh, singapore and just all those companies and artists who have more of a presence on social media sharing their things you know all the different festivals that were kind of i think that has a large the large part of it i think you what u.s wise we're kind of sort of about the same maybe a little bit better but eastern wise you're right because of social media or whatever we're a lot more aware of what's going on over there and everything seems to be just crushing it it's, it seems like a lot of the releases are selling out. A lot, mm-hmm. a lot more companies. A lot of, a lot of conventions. We got even mm-hmm. Singapore something something starting like up up, next, up this weekend actually. STGCC. Um, and that stands for Singapore Toys, Games, and Comics or something like that. You nailed it. <laughs> yeah, close. See. No, you did. That was it. Singapore Toys, Games, Comics convention. I can get that right, but I can't get Decon right. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> So, but don't you think the mar- do you think the designer toy scene has a little bit of a marketing problem, in the sense that all the marketing that's been going on, we're essentially only marketing to people who are already aware of designer toys. The outreach outside of our little scene is nil to none. I, mean, I know Clutter's trying really hard with the magazine, trying to get it in uh, a different stores the, and Blink One. When's the last time? When's the last time they released a magazine? Every festival. It's still going like uh, quarterly, isn't it? I don't think. Uh... Yeah, I, I, I just picked one up at Five Points Fest. Yeah, I think they do them now for the festival, like 
whenever there's a show like there was I, was there one for Comic Con? I can't remember or not. Uh, well, there'll be one. I'm sure there'll be one for Decon. They were doing it. They were doing it monthly, weren't they, for a while? And then like they were. All right, I'm looking this up because I know they've been doing convention ones, but I yeah. thought that they them I think outside of that as well. I'm pretty sure it's quarterly now. Is I don't think it's monthly anymore. But and that's what I'm saying. It's like when you look at the marketing span of this toy scene, it's it, it does not go beyond what we're doing. Like I would say, let's you know. Well, doesn't Designer Con does like radio advertising? True. Yeah, I mean, you got that the, the promotions for the conventions and stuff like that, and well, they're getting newspaper press and radio stuff like that. But I mean, do you think can the scene grow? It, it seems like it's not growing. I mean, it seems like we're still swimming in the same small kiddie pool that we started at. When do we, you know, jump into the Olympic size pool? You know what? Every every day, I I try to think about ways to to get new eyes on things. And I think every company out there is trying that too, just because our scene is so small, whether it's through, you know, buying a little sponsored ad on Instagram and targeting people that you don't follow or the same thing with like Facebook or teaming up with uh, a company or a brand that, you know, has a different type of follower. I mean, these are all things that I've done many times over the years and sometimes it, it pays off and sometimes you get a lot of different eyes and followers um sometimes it doesn't so i i don't know the the key to it if i did then uh there wouldn't be an issue we need to, we need to somehow get some vinyl toys in the hands of like kim kardashian and justin bieber <laughs> and then it would like blow up pharrell they're in the hands of pharrell now cause getting a promotion from pharrell that's yeah good. that's not big enough <laughs> yeah you I would mean, think the licensing's helping i think the licensing's helping you know kid oh, robot totally. and other companies starting to you know get more stuff out in uh you know the targets and the barnes and nobles and you know, maybe that's going to be the new gateway to take a look but i think one of the problems of our toy scene even if people take a look it's they're going to see that yeah it's artists made artists created but it's the entry point of cost is it's still too high i don't because of the that price point you know, not many collectors are going to want to jump into something where they have to drop probably more than $60 on the average item, uh, customs and whatnot. And I think that's probably our biggest hindrance is we're not exactly the most cost-effective, affordable collecting thing. Well, I think that also has a lot to do with the handmade nature that everything's at right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like before things went to vinyl in like when Spanky was talking about earlier with like the first swing of vinyl, everything was at the handmade resin stage there was there were stores out here that were you know selling all these resin kits and it was basically the same stage we're at now and then everybody all those guys discovered hey i can make this stuff in vinyl i don't have to do all that hard work yeah i can i can charge less so i can get my figure out to more people and i just have to like raise a little bit of money and i can do this and once people start realizing again that you can you can do that then those those guys who are currently resin guys are all going to switch over to vinyl and you know we'll have that swing out we'll have that swing over again and that's where companies like sideshow were born and and you know that kind of thing like those guys were resin kit guys they were yeah. they were resin toy makers i mean weren't you too george and then you guys started october toys and did the gwins right uh yeah i mean i i was i i came from a mass market toy background so I was, you know, I was working in mass market and that's, you know, uh, from there I wanted to do the artist stuff. 
but I mean, yeah, it was the, the company I worked for, uh, you know, the last one before I went to my own thing was a company that started out of his garage, realizing he can do this prototyping and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm assuming there's just a bunch of different factors that kind of all happened at the same time that led to the downturn of the toy scene. You know, the, obviously there was the recession that played a big role, especially with the companies and, and the stores out there. I don't know if that impacted individual artists as much, uh, independent artists, because I know a lot of them were flourishing at that time. But um, I, definitely another factor was this oversaturation that happened. Um, you know, budgets can only span so far. And actually, when, when Kano was on, he brought up a good point that I didn't really – uh, think of before, and he was sort of mentioning that in the beginning, a lot of the designs were coming from artists that were fairly established in other fields, like graffiti and street art and lowbrow, you know, gallery scene or whatever. And they had this fan base, and then essentially they were already just kind of expanding the brand through the, the designer toy scene, just using it as a vehicle to promote their brand. And I think a lot of other people just started noticing this, and that's when the designer toy scene became this anyone and everyone can make a toy sort of thing. A lot of independent artists came out of it. And unfortunately, a lot of very amateur work started happening and they were getting the same shine as the other guys. And so I can kind of see what uh, he meant by that. And, you know, I was one of those artists that started self-producing toys with absolutely zero fan base. And, you know, I wasn't the only one. A lot of other guys did. And, and so maybe that was a turnoff to some of the OG guys. And maybe that did uh, affect the atmosphere of uh, things a little bit, but that's also one thing that I really liked about the designer toy scene that you didn't have to be some established guy. You could do, you know, be a come from the graphic design world and have some great ideas to, you know, become toys, and you didn't necessarily have to be plucked up by a company. This is something that you could do yourself. So um, I like that aspect, but maybe that did play a small role in the change in the atmosphere. I don't know. What do you guys think? Is it? Man, it's it's tough to pinpoint exactly. You know when things kind of went down, I guess you could say. I know, I know one thing for me, one thing, one event that's always stuck in my head, and I, I don't know if it's anybody else thinks this way, but that one year when Kid Robot didn't renew their booth at Comic Con and they weren't there, that was a weird year. I think, I think that same year during San Diego Comic Con, it was. Dragatomi wasn't there either. Yeah, I think and you're right. With them not being there and Kid Robot, because I mean, Kid Robot brought you know the big name artists with their releases, but man, Dragatomi they they had such a huge presence in the scene uh, by not only bringing all the customs to the convention, but bringing in all the artists. Yeah, and that was it. It just seems surreal when that. When they weren't there and Kid Robot wasn't there, and I feel like the years since then, it's just kind of, kind of like what you said with Comic Con. It's like, it's it's hasn't been the same. Yeah, you know, I remember that. That was really really weird not having Kid Robot and Dragon tell me there. But at the same time, I didn't think too much of it because I knew that San Diego Comic Con was changing and it becomes so expensive. It just didn't feel like the convention for us anymore. So I thought maybe someone yeah. like Kid Robot, being the huge company there, are like. The overhead they must have sending out all of their employees, flying people over there, flying artists in, putting artists up in hotels or whatever, and not to mention the 
the cost just to freight all their product there. It had to be so expensive for them. So I didn't think much of it then. And then, but you're right, losing someone like Dragatomi, they had a huge presence there and they ran so many customs and helped so many artists display their product that that was definitely a big shock. So you're right. The San Diego Comic-Con hasn't really been the same since those days. Uh, but I do think that we are definitely better off today than we were that, you know, the, the year that happened. Oh, for sure. But I still wish Dragatomi was around because they had uh, they brought in a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I've heard that a few times. I've actually never hung out with uh, the you know the Dragatomi crew, but they definitely had a reputation at SDC as being the, the the people to hang out with. Actually, I think they were the ones that coined uh, the toy family term. We kind of stole that, and you know maybe we're carrying it you know the torch a little bit for them. But yeah, I, I heard they were a right to hang out with. Yeah, right. I was talking yes. with. Uh, oh, go ahead, Teresa. Oh no, I was just going to say, it's always so weird for me to hear you all talk about these like ups and downs, because I guess I came in kind of late, and I've never really felt that, because I've always just been into it. So, I don't know. From a collector's standpoint, I don't really feel like I've ever felt some weird up and down, but I just buy what I like and hope <laughs> yeah, it doesn't yeah. go away. Yeah, and I can totally see that. And actually, it wasn't something that you actually you saw or felt. I think it's just something that when you can when you're in it for this long, like you can kind of look back at all the years and see where things started changing or what times were different. And like, right. and I think that magic that was felt like in the early days, and I think that maybe that could have been just because it was new to me. It was just real excitement, but there was something different about it. That There was a, a kid robot was a huge lifestyle brand and they did a, amazing like Dunny release parties and trading parties. Those were always like super well attended. A lot of shows with lines going around the corner and, uh, it seemed like every weekend it was a custom show. I don't know why it just seemed different, but it wasn't something that you really noticed. It's just, I can, you know, retrospectively look back and kind of see the differences. I don't know when there's still, when there's still events and stuff, there's those people still show up. Like there's like when 3d retro does their, you know, does their different release parties and stuff. People still show up to those things. And I think that there's a lot less of those now because there's a lot less stores now. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, that we used to have everyone would, you know, whatever the whatever toy they made, they would have a platform show based on it and they would yep. just ask everyone to customize it. And I think, I don't know, that kind of stuff just started slowing down because maybe there was just a custom show every time and everyone was getting tired of the same 12 people customizing stuff. Like there's only there's only so many, you know, only so many times you can get the same 12 artists together to customize another shape. Right. But yeah. uh 12 it's, artists there was a lot of custom shows at one point every weekend there was a new show it seemed like and there were more than 12 artists all right 15 <laughs> <laughs> no i i can do it was like seriously magical the those shows and and that time that gary was talking about like just something about it just something you know like a kid on christmas morning like releases and I don't. You can't really put a finger on on the feeling that you would get when that stuff would happen, but it was really cool. And the custom shows, like I was a part of a lot of those, and it seemed like you said there was like one every weekend, and it was fun. And it was fun promoting them. The artists were were excited to you know share their pieces um, and let me promote them on the website to help promote the show, and. Uh, you know, one that really stands out to me uh, was the Celsius show at the old Toy Art Gallery. Do you guys remember that show from Rotobox? It was that uh, robot-looking guy with the angel wings. I do, John, but that's because my IQ is high. Yes. There you go. I know 
those are. There you go. I don't know what you're talking about. Attaboy. I think you had a piece in there, George. I probably did. I just don't know what it's called. Yeah, uh, vinyl, whatever they're called. The one that freaking Martin Sue's uh, Dragon Boy's getting built out of. It's the other character by that same group, right? Yeah, the Rotobox Vinyl Automatica. Yeah. That's Yeah. And, they had and the wings. The, yep, and the wings. And the show, there were like 70 artists or something like that. Crazy. And I remember driving up to L.A. for the weekend, and, like, people flew in for it. I mean, Kevin Gosselin flew in from uh, Washington and J.Ru and Ritzy, and, and we were all there at the gallery helping Gino set up, and, like, we were doing, like, vinyl printing, and the, the guys from Rotobox flew in from the Philippines, and it was just, like, it was a fun event, and it's just, like, we don't really have that anymore, except for the big conventions, which are awesome, by the way, like DesignerCon, I wish I would have gone to Five Points. Um, it seemed like that was a good time. Yeah. yeah. Being out in Phoenix, I haven't had the luxury of attending too many uh, of those custom events. I did go out to one out there in, I think it was on Melrose, but it was the uh, Sketchbot show. And there was a ton, Monkey of, King. ton of customs. Was it Monkey King? Okay. Yep. It was yeah. the old Monkey King location that was really long and narrow store. Yeah. That's the, yeah. And you're right. I mean, that place was packed and... Uh, I don't think we have that much anymore. I think most of the custom events seem to be like something that's going on at a convention. And, you know, as far as like the stores, they don't yeah. seem to be having them as much anymore. But like to the point what George was saying, like 3D Retro seems to be having great release parties and, and great attendance. They have food trucks and everything. And so they're definitely doing it right. And as far as the lifestyle thing that I keep bringing up, like, yeah, that lifestyle like sort of seems to be missing, like, you know, Kid Robot used to have in the day. But it seems like they're trying to get back to that. It's I heard they're doing a pop-up shop in like the Nordstrom's with a crossover with uh, with Hanes, like some Dunny shirts and stuff like that. So that's what they used to do in the past. That's what they got them the lifestyle feel that they had so it seems like they're kind of getting back to their roots a little bit so that's great to see and i know we talk a lot about like the past and all that sort of stuff the heyday but i think where we are today is like yeah we're different than back then but i i, I feel like we're doing good and i feel like we are getting better definitely all right, John, so we uh, we hit the stomping ground, and we let our listeners know that you're coming on. We put out a thread, like, if you have any questions uh, for John, you know, let us know. And we actually received quite a few uh, questions for you. So are you want to tackle some listener questions? Yeah, we can do that. Okay, let's see. Let's see. How much milk does Spanky drink? Uh, now or used to? Thanks, used to. Angie. Uh, <laughs> is, this, is this rug? Is this, you're a pretty big guy. Is this regular milk or muscle milk? No, it's just regular milk, you know, two percent. Uh, man, man milk. No, in in high school, I would go through a gallon a day. Holy crap! Yeah. A gallon a day. Come on, Teresa. You know you do that. No, I can't, I actually can't even. I my so I grew up. This is like a side note. We had to drink milk with every meal. That was yeah. like the drink of choice. And so I grew up constantly drinking milk. And to this day now, I cannot drink it. I actually <laughs> eat cereal plain, like out of a baggie. You're I do not one. put milk on anything. <laughs> it's gross. So that makes me barf a little in my mouth. That's a lot of milk. <laughs> I, got a, I, got, I got a milk story for you. You want to hear this? I can't wait. Okay, this is good. I used to love milk. I would chug milk constantly. Like Before I would go to bed, I would just chug like glasses and stuff and then one year my parents sent me off to summer camp and uh, at the camp I drank tons of milk but I refused to use the restroom and uh, I uh, became quite constipated to the point like I woke up one night just in grueling pain 
And I, I had to leave uh, summer camp early and eat only bran for the next few weeks. So there, there's that story. So I, I don't, story. I don't drink as much milk as I used to. You That's ruined a, milk for yourself. That is amazing. I love milkshakes. I love milk, but I do. I will no longer pour myself just like a big glass of milk. If something huh. contains milk, cool. But no, I'm no yeah. longer a, a milk drinker. It's, it's, it's straight up that I can't do ice cream. Man, I'll eat it all day. Literally, I, t- I told Gary I, I pre-gamed with some ice cream before yeah, I got yeah. That's your pre-game treat. I like it. Nice. All right, John. Another question. If you eat yourself, would you become twice as big or disappear completely? Who's writing these questions? This is what this is what our <laughs> listeners give us. I, I'm trying, George. What kind but... of listeners do we have? Come on. <laughs> um, let's say disappear. That's what I would say. If you eat yourself, you don't exist, <laughs> right? Yeah, and that's what I was. That's what I would say too. There you go, Carlos. Um, Okay, so here's a real question. Are you are you ready, John? Yes. This one comes from Christopher Lees of One Half of the Horrible Adorables. So he's curious about some of the basics of blogging. From what he understands, much of the financial gain in blogging just isn't there. And so with that, what keeps you motivated to do so much work helping to promote artists and their sales? And when do you know you've done a good job? Like, How do you personally measure that? That's a, that's a, I read that and that was a really cool question. You know, what is awesome about doing the blog as a lot of people say it's thankless, which isn't the case. I get thanked a lot and it's really cool when artists will send you an email or a private message, or sometimes they post it publicly, you know, thanking the site or one of the writers. But I mean, I would say, I would say once twice a week I get a note from somebody saying that you know uh, my product wasn't selling and then I saw your post on my site and it sold you know 15 minutes after your post went up that's awesome or just you know thanking me for uh, the constant promotion of their pieces over the years and it, it just I get thanked and, and a lot of the artists are really appreciative which is you know, I, I think it's cool. And that's why I started doing those free goodie Fridays, just really thanking people, giveaways, you know, th- thanking them for coming to the site, um, just trying to give back to the community as much as I can. Mm-hmm. I mean, even dur- during Designer Con, I mean, that was that was the big blowout where all the companies would donate this, everything to me and I would just do giveaways all day, every day. And I mean, we gave away thousands of dollars worth of product. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun, and it still is fun. Now, is the winning the designer, designer toy award? You won it two times or three times now? Four times. Four times. So I mean, that's got to be pretty awesome. I mean, that it's, has to feel pretty good. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, I mean, we're the only site to win it, you know, three times back to back, and then Toy Chronicle won it once, and then we won it, and then they won it again. Um, you guys have a little battle here in Toy Chronicle. You guys hit Do that. We? You guys, yeah, I think a lot of us noticed that you guys both hit that campaign trail pretty hard, and seem like you're definitely gunning for that award. Yeah, I mean, I definitely promote it. I'll, I'll buy, you know, I'll sponsor an ad on Facebook. But you know, when it comes down to it, it's all about just getting the word out there about toys, like you said, and trying to spread the word um, to get more people in the scene. 
and that that's really that was really my goal from the beginning and it still is and whatever happens in between is you know great okay awesome let's go to our next question this one comes from another stomp grounder what is spanky doing to up their game in the blogging world are they being left behind when other blogs are venturing into different avenues to engage with the designer toy community am i being left behind what was the question the question is, what is Spanky doing to up their game in the blogging world? Are they being left behind when other blogs are venturing into different avenues to engage with the designer toy community? Okay. So, yeah, I read that one too. Um, and I, I think that uh, we're, we're constantly trying to, to do things to, you know, improve the blog, uh, improve our reach. Like, it, yeah. As you have to, like you, I mentioned earlier, artists have to evolve, or they're going to get left in the dust. If you don't step up your customizing game, it just it just continually improves. And I would imagine it's the exact same thing with toy blogs. It's like you have to evolve and change. And it's not about so much about being competitive, but as other people up their game, you kind of have to sort of follow suit. I would assume. Yeah, yeah, you can't stay stagnant. And I mean, that was kind of the case with the headers on the site, you know, creating those to make sure that they look good and format for Facebook. You know, we're currently working on possibly porting over to a different uh, host, a different site design. Um, Some things that I've thought about and I remember having conversations with JRU back in like 2009 about the site and things and technology is finally getting there to some things that I that I've been wanting to do and we're actually trying to implement them as we speak awesome so yeah there's there's some fun stuff coming up that I think will make artists companies and collectors uh, really happy and excited Um, and it'll be it'll be fun to to see if we can get it to to work yeah yeah no that sounds awesome I hope it works out and uh, here's, well, here's another hard-hitting question. Do you like pet animals or do you prefer wild ones? I hate all of them. George, you don't hate them. I like wild <laughs> ones. Which? Wild, wild ones, okay. And, uh, here's a question I just found. How many rectangles on the screen at one time is too many for the human eye? Uh, I would guess eight. <laughs> Your blog hurts my eye. Oh. <laughs> Are there too many rectangles? I'm just busting on your balls. George. Scroll down your page. Look how many rectangles are on your page at one time. I blame Facebook once again. <laughs> John, Jay Mazone wants to know, when can we expect more strolls? That is a great question. Um... The Safubi stroll through Toy Art Gallery is in their court. I have no idea. That's you know, it's up to Gino. There might be a stroll release next year through a big company. I, I shouldn't say there might be. There will be a stroll release. That's really exciting. Nice. I don't know. I'm currently in talks with a few other artists that I've worked with in the past to possibly produce some more one-off or like kind of a micro run of some some strolls what about entering a blank contest or yeah. entering a blank contest as i did I, oh oh you did you entered it i did yeah oh. i i entered the uh the martian toys blank contest wow. with what yeah. 
with with a stroll. Oh, I was um, just gonna say, I think stroll, the, the grumpy old man, needs a cute, happy girlfriend. And he and has one. There he has does? been, there has been one. Some people might never even know that. Yeah, Teresa. Well, what is this? I didn't know that, and I like to think I'm pretty informed. See, this is. I just, I failed. I need to know more. George yeah, has one, is- don't you, George? One. I've got many. I stole as many as I could off those tables. Well, yeah. shoot. You need seats. I want to look this up. What is At, this lady's name? It's Strollette. <laughs> of course. Of course. Obviously. Dumbest question yet. I'm sorry. Um, at During our wedding, my, my wife and I, um, I gave away party favors that uh, Brian Rutherford of Brotherford Industries created. I did the illustration, and he output them into resin, multiple colorways, and I bagged the pair up with a header card and gave them all out as wedding gifts to everybody who attended. Oh, very cool. I like when people in the the toy community do that, like cake toppers and custom cake toppers and little table handouts and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, I got we had custom cake toppers, too, by uh, Task1. He sculpted my wife and I as uh, mini monies, and they turned out awesome. Oh, cool. Now, is so your wife into I... this? No. Okay. <laughs> Not even a hesitation. <laughs> she just went along for the ride, huh? She's been supportive since day one. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's my thing, and she understands. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> she, she likes some of the stuff. And, you know, I've been introducing my daughter to it you know, here and there with some toys and she likes to play with them. And uh, I'm not as protective of a lot of the stuff that I would have been if I didn't have her. I just, I'll give her anything and just let her play with it. And it's like, whatever. Yep. Same here. Yeah. I cannot find Strolette. No. Thing is failing. How do I find her? I just want to see a picture. Let me see. See if I can do a search on my site. You'll have to share it so we can share it with the, the Marsham Toy Hour World. There you go. She's hidden. I search stroll and I get a bunch of sh- baby strollers. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Spanky, I have a box of strolls I can send you of random. It was from my uh, from my archive. So I have a, a whole box of strolls I can send you that you can start selling or giving away if you want to also. Nice. Bitchin'. There'll be all the old colors that people have, but if people have missed them or if they want, you know, just a stroll or something to paint, um, I can send that out to you so you can have it. Sir George McBeardsley, I appreciate you. Got to do something to raise some money for this blog that you work so tirelessly at. Hey, it's it's honestly, whatever happens, happens. It's not about the money, honestly. I'm uh, I'm in it for the ride. Let it just happen organically. And that's that's the way I've honestly been about it, so... Thank you, sir. That's why I call you the Prince of Positivity. Come on, man. You got to be positive. If you go on Facebook, you know why. <laughs> yeah. Why do you, Why do you think my Facebook feed is just full of nonsense? <laughs> yeah. If you like, ever If you ever want to watch a video that will frustrate you, just go to Spanky's page. I'm sure he's posted 17 of them. <laughs> It'll be something's about to. This guy's about to get shot with an arrow or something, and. <laughs> They pull the string back on the bow, and then it holds forever. Nothing ever happens. Yeah, I haven't had one of those in a while. I need those to are my do favorites. some more research. They're great. The frustration <laughs> that people give me is just amazing. It's so worth it. And what did you say was the best ice cream sandwich, John? 
No, not ice cream sandwich. It's the I, the fudge sickle. What and brand was that? I think it's Lucerne. L u c e r n e. I don't know how to pronounce it. Okay. But uh, Safeway brand, Safeway Vons carries it, and Albertsons carries it, and it is bomb.com. <laughs> you know what John's also really good about using Facebook for too, guys. So if anyone really likes what you're hearing from John and you want to be his neighbor, uh, <laughs> friend him on Facebook. He likes to post, uh, you know, houses up for sale in his neighborhood. So you could live next to John. So just you, you know, he likes to keep his listeners and followers in touch. You I'd could live there. Yeah, me too. Some of those houses are nice. They all sold though. The market's hot down here. <laughs> just like the weather. <laughs> oh, oh man, I'm sitting in a like an oven right now. I mean, it's been like in the 110s in Phoenix, but during the during the podcast, I, I work in my little 250 square foot office, and I turn off the AC in here during it, so it is warm. But what about you, George? I know it's like hot in Southern California too. Uh, it's currently 94 in the room I'm in. <laughs> you why are. The, why the hell do we do this? Why do we put ourselves through this? We don't have to be sitting here sweating. For the love of John. <laughs> I got solar panels on my house, and my room is currently 74 degrees right now. I, I, mean, I have solar panels too, but it just provides the energy. I, I, I can't run the AC during the show. Otherwise, you would totally hear it. it would, it's really loud. I've, I've done it before, and George has heard it. it. It would definitely ruin the show. So, Man. I think she's so crazy about that. I think you should just let it run. No one's going to care. I think so too. No, it's a small room. It's one of those wall units. You would totally hear it. it it's, it's much louder than just like the, you know – AC in a house or something. I also don't know how you all sit. It's 68 in my house. (laughs) Nice. Y'all are crazy. It just sounds like it's hot. Well, it is 11 degrees cooler than it was this afternoon, so I I guess 94 is not so bad. That's a plus. When we start talking weather, is that just a sign just to end it? But I'm not ready yet. So I I know one thing that John mentioned was talking about the kid robot forms. I think, I know that's still around, still doing okay, but it's it's changed a little bit. Like Teresa, like I don't think I don't know that you do the Kid Robot forums, but I know that you're part of like Kid Robot Facebook groups on Facebook. That's t- correct, right? Yeah. Well, so I mean, I know about the forums. I think I by the time I even signed up, they were pretty much dying out because like I heard about them, so I was like, okay, I'll create a password, and I knew it was probably old because it was very hard to navigate. It's a very old website, but um. So I like I was aware of the forums, but it didn't seem very active. So yeah, like kind of the new, I guess, version of the forum would be this Kid Robot Buy Sell Trade Group on Facebook. That I think it's got about uh, over three thousand members at this point. So it's not massive, but it's, it's big. You know, it's building up, and so that's kind of a good kind of go to place um, if you're trying to like sell or find some stuff. But so, they I mean, also I have discussions that. there as well, correct? Yep. Yes, sometimes. Yeah, there were some interesting debates that go on. You were telling me recently about one, like, uh, what makes a figure rare? What, what, what was going on there? Yeah, so someone, well, so there's people who join, I think, that are, like, brand new. So, like, they found some, you know, maybe a licensed, you know, South Park figure or um, what, you know, Bob's Burgers or something. They come on, and so I think some people are truly asking, not to, like, start debate, but they're just truly curious because you know in like say the Funko world it may be because it's retired or because it's a chase or what have you so they're like what exactly is rare in the kid robot world and um I guess that like (laughs) that's 
spurred some interesting conversation because there was like these two very distinct sides of rarity being based purely on production size and rarity being based on in search of like doesn't matter if it was 50 or 500 if it's very hard to find and buy now that makes it more rare whereas other people were saying it's purely because only say five were made or it's one of a kind or what have you it's, it's rarity so yeah i'm curious what what you all think what 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 makes something rare why don't you take this one john uh what makes something rare um i would say if it's uh you know bloody or pink in the middle Oh, said like a true huntsman. <laughs> I'm pretty um, sure you hunt your own meat, don't you? I do. I do. Um, let me think here. What makes something rare? I would just say a run number. A low run number would make something rare. Right? See, I I agree, but at the same time, I do think the ability to find something can can also contribute. Yeah, like, I guess that's true. Like a kid robot like, black, like something right. that's like 200 were made, but none of them are for sale. Right. Or like, I don't know, like it was a very, very sought after thing. And maybe there were a couple hundred made, but like anyone who has it wants it forever. Like the yeah. ability for someone to find one to buy, have someone willing to sell it could be very, very low. I, I think that constitutes rare as well. Yeah, I would say that pretty much goes right back to the edition size. It's something small enough that everyone loved the item and you can't find it on eBay or resale market. Like that's all due to partly the edition size. Yeah. I mean, well, not necessarily. Can... Cause look at like, look at a figure like the Sours there. They weren't necessarily that limited. They came out in a time when things had pretty high run numbers, even for the exclusive runs. True. And you really don't see those pop up too often. So that's a figure that there's plenty of figures that are way more rare and they're even in their regular edition. And yet, that is a harder figure to find than some of those. Which yeah. is amazing, Where are right? the sours? Because yeah, the the runs the run sizes say are like between thirty to you know anywhere from the micro edition size of five up to you don't really see anything exceed a run size of a hundred anymore. Maybe something like Kid Robot, you'll see excesses of three you know run size of three hundred and but you're not seeing edition sizes of a thousand or ten thousand anymore like back in the you know early two thousands. This is true. Which is impressive. Yeah, I mean, when we that... did when we first started Gwyn's, the run size was like a thousand pieces of each yeah. of each version. Hmm. So Which it's is like, amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. There's nothing like that anymore. Yeah, no, I no. started the Zyra toy scene with my first toy, but no one knew who I was. I was a no name, and I raised a uh, carrot shake Jake uh, edition size of five hundred in one colorway, and it sold through. I could not do that today. It, it just no. it just would not happen today. And see, that is an example one, like your Jake figure. If I wanted to find it, I don't know how I would find it. Like there's, yeah, there were 500 made, but like I, I've i never seen anyone post it for sale. And that's good. That's exactly what I love to hear that because it, is, that tells me people either like it that they don't want to sell it or right. people just don't know that other people are looking for it. I mean, I guess it could partly be that second piece, but it's just that to me also makes things rare in a way because, yeah, there may be 500 of them out there, but I, for the life of me, want, maybe want to own that, but I don't know how I would ever do it. And even like rarity, I think, can sometimes apply when we're talking about international pieces. Like there are some pieces that I could, for the life of me, cannot figure out how to buy. And I'm sure 
over in Thailand or Japan or what have you, people have them. But over here in the U.S., it's a pain in the ass to try to figure out how to get. So for me, those feel rare to me because I cannot figure out a way to acquire it. That's exactly why they do it, though. Don't you think it's managing the numbers is what kind of fuels this whole collector mentality? You want to feel like you own something rare. You want to feel like it's potentially uh, gaining in in value and stuff like that. And, And maintaining those numbers at a low size that are hard to obtain kind of makes it seem kind of what it is. If everything was produced at run size of 10,000 and constant fire sales to move product, I think that's one thing that a downturn in the scene is when you started seeing the fire sales of 50 to 75% off on an an item that was released only a month ago. That definitely affected the collector's mindset of, well, if I just, I can wait, I can wait. I like the item, but if I wait six months, maybe I can get it for $20, $30 cheaper. Yeah, no, we I mean, never we never put any of our stuff on sale because of that. Even if we had, you know, a bunch left or if we were waiting on something that was, you know, we had a couple too many, I would just keep them up. There's no like I would never put something on sale because I don't want people to sit there and wait until there's a sale. Mm-hmm. Cuz well, the second you do that, like the like that goes back to the old Funko before they became Funko Pop. Um, back at Comic-Con, they would have their, you know, they would sell their stuff all weekend. And then on Sunday it would be two for two for one or three for one. Yeah. And it would be like everybody, like a ton of people would just wait till Sunday. Yep. And it's like, you you can't, you can't do that. But I also think that the other way is also hurting this industry where a run of people think a run is five. Like that's not a run. That's, you're just making a couple things for yourself at that point for you and your friends. You're selling five or ten of something is not making a run of something. Is that more for someone who's starting out, though? Someone who just wants to do a run of five to test the to test. I don't the know. Waters? Look at look at Huck on his on his going True. away letter. He wrote how he has no problem selling out his runs of ten. Well, True. ten isn't a run, dude. Ten is just making a couple things for your ten friends. You're not selling to anybody. You're not you're not you're not building anything. You're not building an audience. You're not selling to. You're not building your career. You're selling to your 10 friends. Well, I think that kind of goes back to the the market I was talking about, that that this pool of people who can afford uh, a hockey piece, $500 to $1,000, it's very limited and small. So if he can sell out 10 pieces, awesome. But maybe he knows if he went 15, he might have two left over, and that's going to hurt affect the value of it if something's sitting in the store. So, I mean, I kind of see where why he does that. Well, no, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying it against him. I'm saying it. I see it all the time with people hand making stuff. You're making five yeah. and ten of something, and it's like that's not helping the scene. If you want to help the scene, you have to make fifty. You have to put it in a store. Fifty should be a minimum of somebody's thing. You and it has to go into stores. It can't just be like selling it on your site or your net. Right. The, the scene's never going to grow. It's just going to be individual people selling their individual things to their individual friends. I'll agree with you there. We need to, we need the retailers. They're the ones that are getting our stuff in front of people's eyes. And by all the independent producers out there, just doing, I would say, a huge majority are just releasing stuff directly through their own stores, through their own promotion, and. Not much stuff is really hitting the uh, the retail base anymore. We need to. And I mean, I get it. You make more money that way, but like that's too. It's too short sighted. It's not. You're not looking at the industry, and you're not helping anything. You're not. You're not helping anything grow, but your own, your own thing, your own pocket. Right. Yeah. I would you say if you're one of the producers that can release a new colorway every month, you know, yeah, sure, do five for yourself, and then throw a bone to not throw a bone, but you know, let a you know a retailer have a chance at having an exclusive colorway. Yeah, there has to be something figured out. 
for this for this thing to grow like this. Like, cause, I mean, imagine how many stores would probably love to sell, you know, an addition of these cool handmade resin toys to their crowd, you know. But like, mm-hmm. they, nobody gives them the opportunity. You know, there's no one. I know Ben will sometimes buy or he'll carry like he carried a lot of the Spaceballs figures from uh, uh, Two Bit Hack. It's Two Bit Hack, right? That does those. Yeah. Um, and he will carry those because he'll pick them up at Comic Con, you know, because Two Bit Hack will. So hack will make a bunch of them and he'll sell a bunch of them to Ben so he can bring them back at 3D Retro and sell them there. And it's like, I think that's great for both parties because then he gets to sell them direct, you know, on his own. And then also a store is selling them. Imagine if he could wholesale them and, and get them into a lot more stores than just one. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it doesn't happen more often? Do you, I, one reason I think is a lot of us have done custom events and you know that usually the cut is a 50% cut. And that's... Yeah. Do you think that most people are probably assuming that's what the, uh, you know, giving someone an additional colorway of your your piece would be? It's a fifty percent cut. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of stores might not be able to take it if it's not that. You know, they might not be able to take the risk. So, and I think it also comes down to like the artist just doesn't make as much when it happens like that. You know, they and these things are are expensive to make. It takes a lot of time to make these custom pieces, and that's why production happens. That's why. That's why people go to production because it's, it's not feasible to run a business doing it yourself. It just doesn't, it it doesn't make long, long long-term sense. Yeah. I mean, it's almost almost like a thing where, yeah, there could be, you won't as an artist going through a retailer, you know, there's a, a, a cost split there, but it would help promote you potentially and get more people knowing about your product. And eventually over time that would pay off. So I totally see the the need for retailers getting a little more love and being able to sell and show more artist stuff. Cause I do think there are a lot more, I mean, a lot of what I buy is direct from artists and in, in many cases. Right. Yeah, but do cool. you think, I mean, and I think, and that's one of the things that I think a lot of the, artists need to have is a little bit of every price range you can it's okay to have those things where you make 10 of them and you sell them for five thousand dollars but you should also have something that you make a thousand of and you sell for five dollars like there you know there should be like I, one of the, a good artist to look at in that is luke chu he's got those he's got everything from you know those tiny keychain hung guys you know, they are what, 10, 20 bucks to a mid range toy that's 40 or 50 to higher end stuff that's a couple hundred dollars to paintings that are five to ten thousand dollars. Like, he's got all the ranges covered. And that's yep. like, that's the way to grow as an artist. You need to have, because you can't get a new fan base if you don't have a range, a price range that someone can come in at. Yep. And if you don't have that, all you have is the fan base you have. And as those people stop becoming collectors, because inevitably they'll run out of room or they'll run out of money or they'll get married and they'll have kids. And then you, let's say you lose one of your 10 customers that are buying those expensive things. And now you only have nine customers and then another one leaves and you have eight and you don't have anything to bring two new guys in and no one's going to jump in at $10,000. They're going to jump in at 10 and they're going to, as they get more money, as they go to college and they have a little more income coming in and then they get their first job and they're, they have no, you know, nothing to spend their money on. Then they can buy the 50 to $60, $100 items and they'll grow with you. And then they'll get to that point where they have the money to spend on the big stuff. So, but you have to build your audience with that, with that little stuff. And a lot of people are forgetting about them. No, it's, 
George yeah, dropping that, knowledge. Huge IQ bump. Thousand percent agree. Because especially if like you walk in a store and you you don't even plan to buy anything. Most people, I think it's a fantastic point. Most people are not going to say, oh, $80. Yeah, sure. I'm going to drop it. But if you see a $5, $10 blind box, you'll be like, yeah, sure. I'll buy one of those. Why not? I mean, that's mm-hmm. literally how I started. I bought little small things and I was like, yeah, five, seven bucks. Sure. Why not? And then you're like, yeah, sure. Another five bucks. Oh, another five bucks. And then obviously it grows and grows and <laughs> you see where I'm at now. So, yeah. I mean, it, it thousand percent makes sense. And that- I think that's a lot why pins have, have gotten to where they are in this scene is because it is that $10 item that a lot of people were missing. Well, it's also not, it's not much of a financial risk. You know, we touched on it before dropping $200 on a run of a hundred pins. That's not going to hurt an artist. You know, you can still pay your bills at the end of the month, probably versus throwing ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 into a mass production run of over in China or Japan. Yeah, yep. it's true. True. Uh, we got John for just like two more minutes. So how about we do a quick round of lightning, John? Let's do it. All right. You can pick only one toy to keep, not your own. What would it be? Not my own. Uh, I would keep my blank AP model. Okay. What's it like? What's a blank what? AP model? It's a uh, the uh, it's a five inch model from Mad Toy Design. Oh, okay. Teresa, so we don't have too much time. Two thousand five. Go. <laughs> oh, he'll he'll stay a little late for a minute if he needs What's the toy you created that you're most proud of? Easy. My stroll. <laughs> if you can go back in the past, what advice would you give yourself? Um, to drink less milk. <laughs> What is your favorite childhood toy? A uh, childhood toy would probably be G.I. Joe's. Nice. Do you have a current favorite toy? Current favorite toy? Um, you know what? I, I like my, my shard dunny from Scott Tolson. Okay. Bye. Did you say why? I said nice. Oh, I thought nice. I said why. <laughs> <laughs> because no, it's cool. Nice. Who do you believe should make up the Mount Rushmore of designer toys? Mount Rushmore would be Frank Kozik, um, Michael Lau. Uh, I would I would actually put Huck on there. And was there four? Yep. Um, and probably, golly, I don't know, Ron English. Okay. And your Holy Grail toy, is there something you're still searching for out there that you want to possess? I am searching for the saved Huck 5-inch model. Okay, I'm not sure what that is. Wow, that's an old one. He, uh, Mad made a run of Save Huck to help Huck with some uh, legal fees back in the day. okay, yeah. And as a thank you, Huck made 10 custom saved Huck uh, in a reverse colorway, I have every single production model made um, and a ton of customs, but I consider that uh, one of the uh, the grails that, that I need for my collection. I got to update your title. I got to throw in like Master of Models or something in there. There you go. I let that one slip by. All right, last I, question. I have every Gwyn too, just an FYI. Nice. Oh, nice. Huh. <laughs> okay. Now I Next see how question. George got invited to the wedding. I get it now. Yeah. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so you said your wife isn't that into our designer toy scene. Is there a time that you ever paid, you know, a lot for something and she said, you paid what for that? 
What was that item? She has never said that. She has never said that. Huh. Very loving wife. Yeah. Yes. Very, Very supportive. Yes. All right, John. Well, we're uh, we're uh, two minutes over. I'm sorry, but uh, we'll let you go. And hey, uh, thank you very thank much you for, for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, Gary, wait. You did do the end thing. Our end thing? All right, John. Was- why don't you take a brief moment and let everyone know where they can find you? Spanky Stokes. Google it. Really? S-P-A-N-K-Y-S-T-O-K-E-S. Everything will pop up. Facebook. Spanky Stokes. Facebook.com. SpankyStokes.com. There you go. Yeah, there you go. All right, Teresa. Easy peasy. TMHawk24 on Instagram. George. At Double G Toys on Instagram. And I'm Gary Ham. Gary Ham on Instagram, superham.com. This has been the Marsham Toy Hour. We do this every week, not because we have to, but because we want to. And because we love it. <laughs> uh, thanks again for uh, joining John. And so until our next transmission, we're signing off. See ya. Bye. And uh, right now we're going to give you a little taste of the Yes, We Are Pirates that was mentioned earlier. So if you like what you hear, you get the whole shebang at spankystokes.com. Click on store and download Yes, We Are Pirates. It's free! Enjoy.